podcast to the official jazz slander podcast <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, i'm mr i'm chris okamora joining me as always mr jordan christmas jordan we've had some uh round one series already over and some great basketball going on some injured basketball going on like you put it uh what do you think before i can even slander the jazz i want to make sure my team gets out of the first round first because if if we blow this 3-0 series lead, we might have to discontinue this podcast because I will cease to exist. <laughs> um, but no, uh, uh, the first round has been inter- interesting. It's been injured. It's been injury riddled, unfortunately, which has thrown an interesting wrinkle. Not that the basketball, not the product is worse inherently because, you know, guys like Devin Booker, Luka Doncic missed the first three games of the Mavericks jazz series. Joel Embiid now has a torn ligament in his thumb. Um, There's like, it's kind of put a damper on things a little bit, but it's made for some interesting matches and crucial games. Um, But I mean, the Mavericks jazz series really doesn't, I picked the jazz in six when the Luca injury was first reported. If, if the calf strain never happened, I was going to pick Mavericks in five that that jazz team not only do not only does nobody believe in the jazz but they're a team that just looks like they want their season to end and it was that apparent the last like two or three weeks of the season blowing double digit leads constantly you know the stat the stat that was unearthed kept floating around about how many passes per game donovan mitchell uh, passes to Rudy Gobert. That was really funny, by the that, way. Yeah, that was that was hilarious. Um, the Jazz have the same problem once again. They cannot stop a nosebleed on the perimeter. And, you know, I think Rudy Gobert's ability to switch, or lack thereof, has been overblown. I think he's been better the last two seasons compared to, say, the first two Rockets series. And uh, what was it? Uh, the first two years of the Donovan Mitchell era. So 2017, 2018, and then 2018, 2019. That I thought Gobert struggled in that regard, specifically against Houston. But he's been better. Like, he's a legit elite defender. Like, I'm not going to slander Gobert. What I will slander Gobert for is that, yes, the Jazz miss Gobert sometimes on duck-ins, on offense and stuff like that. But he can't catch the fucking ball or lay it up like properly. No, he's or, such a liability offensively. Like it is that astounding. And the thing is the jazz cannot stop a nosebleed on the other end. They cannot stop the ball on the perimeter. Donovan Mitchell's a turnstile. Mike Conley's old Jordan Clarkson. Absolutely not. Bogdan Bog or Boyan Bogdanovich. No, he's big, but no, um, Royce O'Neal is their best perimeter defender. And when he's your best perimeter defender, that's where you have problems. And then Rudy Gobert is stuck between this no man's land of being stuck on the corner shooter, uh, being put on the corner shooter to protect the rim, but then having to close out on the perimeter because dribble penetration is immediately allowed. And I mean, it doesn't surprise me that the jet, that the Mavericks were able to win two games 
without Doncic, specifically one on the road. But now that Luke is back and they just beat the brakes off the Jazz in Game Five, I this series is a wrap. Um, the other one, uh, the, okay, well, I, let's let's not jump too many series here. But uh, those are my initial thoughts on the Jazz. They look like a team that's ready to be blown up. Quinn Snyder ready to move on to a different job, maybe. Um, Danny Ainge, who is the president of the Jazz now was the former president of the Boston Celtics. And by the way, those Danny Ainge jokes, <laughs> if you go back, if you look back at them now, the boy, have they aged terribly considering yes. how Boston looks. Um, but Danny Ainge might have to figure some stuff out. Are they going to trade one of Mitchell or Gobert? Um, I thought Jonathan, I thought Jonathan Charks brought up a good point that it might be time to move Mitchell to full-time point guard. Um, so you can better build your team around Mitchell so you don't have to constantly find specific types of So I have like perimi- I have a weird Oh, so continue, go for it. I was gonna well, I was real quick, I was just gonna say maybe if you like he basically his point was if you move Mitchell to the point guard, you can build your team around Mitchell easier because he will be the smallest guy in the lineup and he's like six four. And so you don't have to, you know, tie your wagon to Conley who's six one but old or Bogdanovich who is older big but also slow um etc etc and then you know Rudy Gay that that signing has just been they were banking on that to be their small to be the crux of his they were banking on Rudy Gay to be the crux of their small ball lineups and he just hasn't played and it's that uh, that signing was just has been a disaster um injuries and all that so um, this is a, a lot of stuff for the Jazz. They're, they're just looking like they're ready to be put out of their misery. But what was your point? So, like, again, I take it with a grain of salt because I, I'm not like a Bill Simmons guy. But I was listening to Bill Simmons podcast, and he he brought up a, a point. I take that, a like, lot of things Bill Simmons says with a grain of salt, but yes, yes. But he brought up a point that Donovan Mitchell is CJ McCollum with better PR. And first, it made me <laughs> giggle, and I laughed. And then I thought about it, and I looked up the numbers, and they're actually a lot closer than I would have thought for, like, how they're perceived in the league. And then I thought about it, and I was like, okay, it's it's a little it's a little bad to just look at the stats. And, like, obviously Mitchell's especially more because, valuable. Especially because Mitchell has literally, well, aside from these playoffs, has literally turned into a superstar in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but so my my big thing with Mitchell is, like, I mean, we've talked about it before. I've never been super high on him. I think he's a really good player. But I think he's slowly dropping further and further down the list of, like, when you talk about got, like young players in the league or, like, young superstars in the league, like, he is slowly dropping further and further down that list. Yeah, I, I would agree and, with that, yeah. And, like, so is it – and, again, like, this is this is, like – do you blow it up and continue to build around Mitchell or do you blow it up, blow it up and start from scratch? Like, do you believe that in the time period that Mitchell can be like, is he at his peak first off? Do you still, and obviously probably not because he still has maybe a couple more years to kind of grow into a prime, but do you believe that you could win a championship with Mitchell in it within his like window? Right, and when you're when you're building from scratch, or is it just more valuable to while he's at his peak, or like moving into his peak, flip him for as many assets as possible and start from scratch? I would I would trade Gobert first, 
he no, so would I. I that, that's that's a given. I'm saying like you get rid of Gobert, what do you still have? And then like, is it? Can you build in time to where? Oh, okay, like now it makes sense to keep Mitchell rather than flipping for assets. I think you, you know could. I think you could build. Like I think this. I think there's a legitimate argument more so than there was like a year or two ago. I think you could build. Best guy on a championship team. I'm still not quite sure yet, and I guess if I have to think about it, that means the answer is no. But I do think Mitchell has, you know, top twenty potential. Maybe I mean he showed that. Um, I know the Jazz have had a down year this year, uh, but I think I would. Well, one I would trade Gobert, then I would tear down the roster, and not trade Mitchell, but I would just focus on building my team around Mitchell as opposed to Mitchell and Gobert. Um, the Jazz were kind So what do you think, Who? what type of player, what archetype of player would you give Mitchell as like the wingman? Well, first of all, some defenders that can stop a nosebleed, first of all. That's fair, <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> obviously some shooting. I would also throw in like, because... I, Mitchell's numbers are going to go up if he moves to point guard just because he'll have the ball more. And I think he's improved yeah. as a passer. He's not an elite passer, but I think he's good to where you can put the ball in his hands and have him make decisions. Um, so I would I would give Mitchell shooting, some extra ball handling, and somebody that obviously nobody can replicate what Rudy Gobert does on defense. He's an architect. Yeah, by he's a defensive architect by himself, right? But yeah. somebody that could, you know, run the floor, protect the rim, but also like if you have if somebody switched on to the big guy, like a guy that could take advantage of a switch once in a while. And that's been the problem with me. And I mean, I've talked about it on the podcast this year, uh this season specifically about I think the problem is Rudy Gobert just isn't an offensive threat whatsoever. Um, well, I and- think that's part of the problem. But, like, the other part of the problem is, like, as great as he is at the basket, I think it was a mistake building your entire defense around, like, funnel everyone to Rudy. Cause oh, then, yeah. Because, like, well, like, they built that defense with no perimeter defender. So that was literally well, yeah, so the like, game plan. Yeah. So, so literally, like, all Dallas did was put Davis Bertans at the five mm-hmm. and then space him out and then go, hey, cool. My God, go there were so many corner go, yeah, threes. Go funnel, yeah, go funnel go funnel to the basket while I stand here and shoot threes. <laughs> they, there were so many corner threes in the first half of game three. Uh, both of, Game two. Games one through three, like, yeah, the Jazz were winning the rebounding battle, etc. But Dallas has attempted more threes than the Jazz, a team, the Jazz, that attempt the most threes in the NBA, specifically the last two seasons um, with their offense. Um, And also, like, the Mavericks just don't turn the ball over. And that's partly because... Jazz perimeter players can't fucking guard anybody. Spencer Dinwiddie and Jalen Brunson. Spencer Yo, Dinwiddie Jaylen has Jalen Brunson. Like, forget that previous contract offer that the Mavericks pulled back reportedly. That's the price of the bricks going up with Jalen Brunson. Um, he's he's dominated. Spencer Dinwiddie has not played as well 
in this series as he has since he's since he's got to Dallas, but he's another guy that's been blowing past Jazz perimeter defenders. Um even Dorian Finney Smith, who is really like a three and D specialist, you know, attack a closeout every once in a while. That guy has been attacking the rim with more impunity than I've ever seen him play. <laughs> like, and now that Doncic is back, like, I just think this series is a wrap, man. It's a wrap. Oh, it's done. It's done. That's it, not like, a it's gonna, it's, it's gonna done. be, it's gonna be. The Mavericks are probably gonna win Game Six by like ten points, um, and we're gonna move on to the next series. Um, but yeah, just a. Uh, all around, like, yeah, just love to, you know, you hate to see it with Utah and their. No, we know, love to see it with Utah. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that <laughs> was, that was, that was sarcasm. I love to see it. <laughs> like, <laughs> that meme where it was like, it shows like a stick figure crying and it's like, uh, crying because of the downfall. And it's another stick figure with eyes emojis. And it's like me praying because I see it. Because <laughs> I prayed. Yeah. For, or me, uh, me watching because I prayed for it. <laughs> like, it's so good. Like, that's that, that's how it is. But, yeah, the Jazz have just been a mess, and it's, you know, we should I, – I don't want to talk about the Jazz anymore. They suck. <laughs> get them out of here. Get the Hawks out of here, too. Like, get get the Hawks out of here. Bulls, I want to say get out of here, but, you know, they've been injured, and now Zach Levine and Alex Caruso are uh, – I'm well, so sad. I'm so sad that we didn't get to see a healthy Bulls team for, like, the second half of the year. <laughs> Yeah, that that was that was disappointing. I still think they would have been like a tier below the contenders, but I think they would have been closer than where I mean, they, they would, ended up I being. Don't, yeah, I think they would have dropped off, but they they certainly would have given someone someone a scare. Yeah, because when you lose Lonzo Ball and then Alex Caruso for six weeks, Patrick Williams, like I, Zach Levine had a knee injury that he. He even said himself probably won't be addressed until after the offseason. It's just unfortunate injuries all around. They had to sign Tristan Thompson, who sucks. Um, and like it's it was just it was the minute that ser- the minute the Bulls were matched up with the Bucks, it was just like immediate, all right, well, Bucks and five. Like that yeah. like DeMar DeRozan also fizzled out the last month of the season or so. It was just it just it it was a surprising season for the Bulls. Um, I had some Bulls friends text me back saying they're back in. You know, um, <laughs> Artur Artur Karnasovis, who came over from Denver, who's now the president of basketball operations the last two years for the Bulls. He's done a fantastic job putting this team together. I do want to see them fully healthy. Hopefully, Levine will come back, uh, resign with the Bulls, but. Uh, yeah, put that series, put that series in a bow and wrap it, and also put the Hawks series, the Hawks Heat series, in a bow and wrap it. Um, well, yo, it's Victor Oladipo looking like Indiana. That's like what Victor man. Oladipo. The Hawks were the most disappointing team all year, and it also just makes me even more sick to my stomach that the Sixers barfed all over themselves in that series. Like specifically, Game Five, blow a twenty-five point lead. Like game, uh, game seven, it's close the entire time, and you just barf all over yourselves. Game four, you blew a twenty point. Like that, that series just bugs me even more now. But like the Hawks came in, all this talent, and then all of a sudden, Clint Capella has it. The only person who had like a good year, the only two people who had a good year were 
who were better than last year were Trey Young and Bogdan Bogdanovich, who I don't have an official vote, but I put Bogey fourth fourth on my uh, sixth man of the year candidate list. Um, but Clint Capella took a step back. Nate McMillan's rotations and lineups were weird. He was playing all bench lineups, a.k.a. the Doc Rivers special. Um, the Doc Rivers special. <laughs> we're going to get to Doc in a minute. Um, but Kevin, like Kevin Herter, like what do they do with all that talent now? DeAndre, the only untouchables to me are Trey, um, DeAndre Hunter, and Kevin Herter. I would look to move some of these contracts and consolidate further and build a proper team around Young. Because like to, to lose to the Heat without Kyle Lowry or Jimmy Butler and getting bulldozed by Victor Oladipo and Gabe Vincent. And Gabe Vincent's been playing awesome. Yo, again, yo, Victor Oladipo looked like fucking revo- like our he new looked man. Like Indiana. He, looked like, like, he looked like 2017-18 yeah. like Victor Oladipo, yeah. like in Indiana. Like, yo, he was going off. Yeah. I was like, and where did this come from? It's just, yeah, the, the Hawks were the most disappointing team all year. And then, like, what, at one point during the season, Trey Young was like, the regular season isn't as exciting as the playoffs. That's when I knew they were doomed because it's like, all right, what contender or conference finalist aspirations type of team fucking thinks like that, you know? Like, yeah. And Trey plays great in big games, but, like, I guess that's youth and immaturity also showing, like, there's a whole 82-game regular season before you get to the playoffs, dude. And the Hawks just underperformed all year. They turned it on. There were stretches where they turned it on. And then towards the end of the season, they were playing better. But, like, they still ended up being the same old disappointing Hawks. And also, the Heat just put the clamps on Trey Young. Oh, yeah. They they were like, yo, you be you're not gonna beat us. <laughs> like PJ Tucker guarded him well. Bam Adebayo guarded him well. Whenever Trey would call for a pick and there'd be a switch, there'd be another big wing right there, <laughs> just in Trey's grill. Uh, they cut off the paint. They didn't foul him as they didn't foul him. And like the Heat just put on a masterclass in slowing down. You know, an awesome point guard. But yeah, that. That's, that series I thought would go six, but I mean five doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it's a uh, pretty straightforward of a series to be clear. Um, yeah, like game three they easily could have lost, but Trey Young hit a floater with like four seconds left or whatever it was. Just things looked like a slog for the Hawks. Yeah, totally agree. Um, all right. Uh, oh. Do we want to talk about the uh, the Brooklyn Nets? I yeah, let's talk about the Brooklyn Nets. Um, so I picked Celtics in seven, and yeah. I really should have just because remember, like a couple pods ago, I said it was before the Sixers played the Nets on March tenth, but I said that eventually we're going to have to start actually seeing the Brooklyn Nets play fucking basketball instead of being this theoretical team. And then Katie and Kyrie started displaying their talents and made you think like, oh shit, this is why a lot of people are still high on Brooklyn, right? I still pick Celtics in seven out of respect to Katie and Kyrie. I am not surprised, and I'm not playing the results here. I'm not surprised that the Celtics swept the, the Nets because if you've been paying attention to the Celtics all season since the new year 
they have been the most dominant team in the NBA. And as a Sixer fan, it pains me to say that. But, like, their defense... They were shutting people down. Their Ime Udoka shortened the rotation. The shortest guy that's playing is Peyton Pritchard off the bench, who is actually a solid back-of-the-end guard off the bench, but he's like 6'3". Marcus Smart is the smallest guy in the Celtics starting lineup. That is scary. And it's oh, the rest is 6'7 wings. Al Horford, who is rejuvenated. Daniel Tice, like, the, they lose Robert Williams. They don't miss a beat because they have Daniel Tice to kind of replicate some of the ways the Celtics used Robert Williams in their defensive scheme. It's been talked about in nauseam. They put Robert Williams on the corner shooter and have Al Horford yeah. be the switching big, and Robert Williams can basically just play free safety. Well, that's that's kind of discrediting his role a little bit, but basically, yeah, free safety and just wreak havoc at the rim. And Yeah, it's super impressive. And the Celtics just switch everything. And they had the team to beat a Nets team that skewed small with their perimeter players. And abnormally, their roster construction skewed more towards big men. So it was just an odd roster construction and the perfect defense to slow down KD and Kyrie. But KD didn't just get slowed down. He got shut down. like, yeah. And he got shut down specifically by Jason Tatum who was the best player in that Yo, series easily. They got the, he got like it. He stamped it himself. Looked, now he's a superstar. Yeah, but it, it looked like it looked like those er, like, like early bulls where they just beat the shit out of Katie. I was just, like, I was just going to bring that up. Their, their physicality it, reminds me so much of remember early 2010s, Indiana and the Chicago bulls. Yeah. Like they like, were like, Going through screens and like Katie couldn't g- couldn't walk through the paint without getting the shoulder. You're watching the defense and you're just like, holy shit! I would hate to be out there. <laughs> like, yeah, it just you're just like you're just like, dude. Katie's gonna like blow a gasket soon. And Katie has some weird turnovers too. But I mean, it looked like he was getting frustrated. It, it really that, did that too. But Jason Tatum. Um, I did a video today actually on this, but Jason Tatum guarded Durant for 30 minutes, which was 20, which was 17 minutes more than the next Celtic. And Jason Tatum held Durant to three of 18 shooting and 16% shooting from the field. That's Kevin Durant. That's one of the 10 to 12 greatest players of all time. He blocked his shot twice in a series like, remember when Giannis yeah. blocked it last year and everyone's like, oh, shit. Like, and I'm sure Kevin Durant has had his shot blocked, like, another handful of times that I can count on my finger in his career. But, like, last year everyone was like, oh, my God, Giannis. Of course he's the, the one guy who could block Katie's jumper. Well, Jason Tatum can, too. Herb I mean, Jones probably could, too. Herb, jo- Herb Jones is. Herb Jones is awesome. Not first team all rookie. <laughs> not first team all rookie. By the way, like a lot of people are putting him on. No, but I think I think I'd he put deserves J- to be a I, team, though. I I think he deserves consideration, but I put Jalen Green there, um, as the fifth guy. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Jason Tatum. This was one of those, like he turned, he started figuring it out as the new year, as the turn of the new year started. His passing got better. His strength, like he doesn't get bumped off the line anymore. A few of a few Celtics fans have mentioned that um on Twitter too. Um, is something that I've noticed is, you know, Tatum's a little bit bigger now, so he doesn't get bumped off his spot easier. 
And he's able to, you know, hold his own with those type of players that use their strength. And he's just a elite defensive player and an yeah. elite off. Like he has stamped himself now as a bona fide like tier one franchise player. Where like, I would still take Luka Doncic over Jason Tatum, but like you can make the argument, and I'm not the first person to bring this up, so it's nothing new. But like, you can make the argument that Tatum is in that class with Luka Doncic now. Like he is a there's like. 1000 top 10 players but you know what i mean the tier one franchise players the guys yeah i think you so. build yourself so, like, around, you build your team around to win so like this i saw this funny enough i saw this discussion on reddit and it was like it was actually like one of the comment usually reddit comments are like garbage or trash <laughs> but like there was one comment that like actually i thought was 100 percent correct and it's the idea that like if okay i'm trying to think of a phrase like, in terms of, like, like Luka and, and Tatum, right? I would take five of Tatum. But if I could only have one of them, I would take Luka. Yeah, that yeah, that would be uh, okay. You know what I'm saying? I, like, I could see that, yeah. Because, like, in terms of Luka, I would trust running my offense and, my, like, my team through Luka just mm-hmm. because of the playmaking and, like, the, the basketball IQ. I would just – want the ball in his hands to distribute and do whatever and like i could fill pieces in around him but in terms of like all around player who i'd want five of on on the floor i would take tatum yeah if it was a one on if it was a one if it was like a straight up comparison one ver- i think i would i would still take luca like without even thinking about it but it's a lot closer than it was oh yeah absolutely like i said jason tatum is he is in the tier one franchise player category now and it'll be interesting to see its trajectory. And by the way, like I mentioned Danny Ainge earlier, man, those jokes have aged like milk. Because, yeah. like, what is it? One, two, three. Smart, Brown, Tatum, Robert Williams. That's four Danny Ainge draft picks in the starting lineup. In their usual starting lineup, Robert Williams is coming off the bench. And then Grant Williams and Peyton Pritchard. No, Peyton Pritchard was a Brad Stevens pick. There was a sixth guy um, in the Celtics rotation that I'm trying to remember. Tice. And, yeah, Tice came back. Yeah. yeah, and Tice came back to the Celtics in this in the trade at the trade deadline um, a few months back. But look at the squad Danny Ainge built. Like, and also like uh, this is a, also a lesson for people who have teams that hired first-year coaches. Because, like, the Ime Yudoka discourse was really weird to me early on. Like, and I know we talked about him before and how I kind of wasn't a fan of him calling out his players like that. But, I mean, I wasn't, like, a, I wasn't like against it. I get it. But, like, sometimes that coaching style works, and he got to the players. And Ime Yudoka, as a tactician and everything, like, he had a vision – like he's a good coach because he had a vision. He stuck with it. Realized he he himself needed to make some tweaks to how he approached things, and the players love him. And now they are just dominating the NBA. Yeah, they're rolling. And honestly, like without Chris Middleton or a hobbled Chris Middleton, when the Bucks close out this Bull series, it's going to be tough sledding for the defending champs. Like I think. So far, Boston and Miami have been the most impressive 
I still don't buy Miami coming out of the East. I still think their half-court offense is going to be their downfall. But you don't like, like the dribble handoff, uh, the dribble handoff and, and into trying to get open threes, trying to work open threes. Work. And I know Jimmy Butler's been shooting more threes, but sure. <laughs> go, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> like, but I mean, the Heat still have awesome talent, obviously. Like, but the Celtics are just a complete team, man. And moving, I forgot to mention the other tweak, moving Marcus Smart to basically be the full-time point guard so we can feel more involved and stuff like that. Like, how about that game one? When Marcus Smart, when the Celtics were down one on that Jason Tatum buzzer beater, did you think Marcus Smart was going to shoot that three? Oh, I 100% did. Me too. I 100 I was like, this is Marcus Smart to a T. He will chuck this shit. And then he pump faked. Two def- two Nets defenders fly by him, and he finds Jason Tatum because they had that eye contact, like I'm going to the rim. And then, of course, Katie and Kyrie just stood there. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. I'm not surprised by the Celtics sweeping the Nets. Um, I did pick the yeah, Celtics in seven, but like if you just look at how they play, their contrasting styles, and how the Celtics matched up with the Nets. It was really apparent by game two that this series was over. The net, like in game two, the Nets tried their damnedest. They held the Celtics to such a low percentage shooting percentage in the first half. They had like a fifteen point lead, and the Celtics just kept churning away, chipping away, chipping away. Jalen Brown had a big fourth quarter, and, it, and that was a wrap. And I figured that it was going to be a quick series because the way they were guarding Kevin Durant, man, sheesh. Yeah. Again, they were it it like Katie looked visibly frustrated. I've never seen Katie look frustrated like that. And like that it's was been the a best while. I've ever I've seen, seen Katie guarded. Yeah, and like and it it came down to the thing where I hadn't seen a player like what's the best way to put it? I hadn't seen something like that where uh, a guy like the the straight up just like hey every time he runs somewhere like you're you're gonna hit him. Like, mm-hmm. you don't really see that anymore. And, like, it paid off. Like, dude, they were hitting the shit out of him. Yeah, and they were calling – the refs were calling fouls like crazy in the first two games. But you could argue a lot of those were actually fouls, you know? Yeah. And, it, yeah, yeah, the Celtics are yeah, – honestly, it's looking like the way the playoffs have been shaping up, it's looking like it's going to be a Celtics-Warrior series. I don't – I think the Sixers have a chance to get to the conference finals if they can somehow close out the Raptors and James Harden just looking like he has my burst, my first step out there. <laughs> like that is obviously very concerning. And I picked the, what is your, what, I want to know what is your take on the Sixers Raptors series? I picked the Sixers in seven full disclosure. I did not want to face the Raptors in the first round. I thought we matched up terribly against them. Because they just I have... thought I personally I thought this was gonna be an easy Sixers win. <laughs> I, I did, just thought I, there was like I was it, like I was like there's no way they're gonna stop Joel and beat. Like right. I was like there's just not Right. That that's not gonna happen. Um so like it being it being kind of like a little closer than it's it's closer than I expected for sure. Like the reason so if you just look at the season series you know, the Raptors obviously started to go all in more with playing more 6'10", 6'9", to 6'10", guys, right? Length and yeah. playing this aggressive, crazy scrambling defense with long arms 
and all that stuff. And Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr., they're kind of the smaller guys, but Fred Van Vliet was was arguably an all-defensive guard this year. Gary Trent Jr. has some size, too. Like, I thought it was going to be a tough matchup. And then the first two games, like, the problems we were having against the Raptors, which was offensive rebounding and transition and all of and all of that, that was erased easily because Joel and B just decided to take his game to another gear and was crashing the glass, running the floor. The Raptors couldn't crash the glass because Embiid was just running the floor constantly, being aggressive, catching the ball, um, all that stuff. Had a fantastic game 3-2 with a crazy game winner, which is, I hope they close out this series so that isn't fucking wasted. But now that he has his hand injury, it's affecting his catching, his ball handling, He's not as aggressive attacking the glass, the offensive glass specifically. And the Raptors have slowly, like, they figured out that we'll let James Harden try to score inside the arc. It just is what it is. He doesn't have the same burst anymore. And the Sixers roster is too flawed and has a lack of athletes on the wing for James Harden to play like that. We need it. We need last year's Brooklyn Nets James Harden when he initially got traded, right? Like, yeah, the 11 assists are are nice. The, you know, 19, 18 points, even though they're inefficient, that helps. But we traded Harden to be the second guy. And I thought if it was at least 2021 Brooklyn Nets James Harden, the Sixers had a chance to go to at least the conference finals. But he can't, like, Fred Van Vliet being hurt, helped actually help the Raptors because they could put another 6'10 guy on the floor that Harden cannot get by. Gary Trent Jr. starting to defend Harden better because that was the other target for Harden on switches. And it's looking dicey, man. Um, If the Sixers blow this 3-0 lead, there's no ifs, ands, buts about it. Like, it's going to be a stain on Joel Embiid's legacy. And I love Joel Embiid. It's going to be a it's going to be the coffin closer for Doc Rivers. And maybe that will benefit me. Maybe that'll benefit it'll benefit the Sixers because then Doc Rivers can finally get up out of here. But man, I cannot believe they came out flat in game 5. Yeah, they look bad. <laughs> they looked flat. And now like they are starting to pay Maxi more attention and he's a second year guard and you just as much as Maxi has improved Second year guards are just you they're just sometimes like they have to figure stuff out. And if they face like more attention on defense, they have to adjust to that. And the Raptors have adjusted to that. They're now guarding Maxi like he's sort of like James Harden from Houston. And they're letting James Harden just go one on one and be like, Well, good luck finishing. His finishing around the rim is abysmal. Like, it's crazy because Harden was is one of my favorite players. I've told you this before. Yeah. And the finishing, like, I would just always think that's an automatic bucket. Oh, first step, deacceleration. Harden's good at stopping before anybody else. Bucket. Even with his documented yeah, weird, playoff struggles. The weird thing is, like, I don't know if, like, it's 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 a shape thing or whatever, but, like, he's just not, he's, or an age I thing. Still think he's not getting a lift. I still think the hamstring is kind of bothering him. Because, like, remember, it took Chris Paul, like, 
two seasons to recover from that hamstring injury that he blew in uh, the Warriors-Rockets Western Conference Finals when the Rockets went up 3-2, sure. right? And so Chris, they, Chris Paul basically needed a few years, and now look at him, right? And so I think it's some of that. But at the end of the day, we all know Harden's off-the-court lifestyle, so to speak, sure. and stuff like that. And I just don't know if he's going to be as dedicated to putting like $3 million into his body like LeBron and Chris Paul do. I still think there are a few years of good James Harden left, but I think further and further away we are being removed from the Houston days. You know? And um, I, I tell you, if we don't win game six tomorrow, I think this series is a wrap. I think the Raptors are winning. Just I have seen I, it. I've seen it before, especially in a game seven scenario. And, and shit, I, and maybe it, I'm sorry, Jordan. I'm sorry. I hope it happens just so that Doc Rivers stops getting talked about as like this amazing coach. Oh, my God. did you see the video today of him defending his blown series leads and stuff? No. He basically he basically threw well part of the clip he threw the 2003 Orlando Magic under the bus cuz he was like remember we, remember we were up 3-1 as an 8 seed over the defending champion Detroit Pistons that year. Look it up. And so at Doc's request a lot of people looked it up and it turns out the Pistons didn't win the championship that year and that was obvious without googling it. They won the championship the next year. And the Pistons, remember, in that championship year in 2004, they traded for Rasheed Wallace at the deadline. Yeah, Rasheed Wallace, yeah. So, like, put them over the top. also Tracy McGrady was averaging, like, 32 points in that series against the Pistons in 03. Like, and then Doc did the whole, oh, I take responsibility, but let's look at everything else. It's like, this dude has no accountability. It's just, it's, I mean, I shouldn't be surprised. It's the same guy that's like, we're undefeated in the finals when our starting five was together. It's like, uh, and I know Laker fans have just chewed that comment up and just clowned on it forever because it deserves to be clowned on because this dude takes no accountability. He takes like 10% accountability for himself. It's wild. And like, I think he's been solid in this series actually like and the reason i say he's been solid is because he's not playing fucking deandre jordan anymore (laughs) when it and he started playing paul reed the last three games of the season why did he start doing that then why didn't he do that a few you gotta get the young you gotta get the young kid some run before the playoffs yeah let's just get him three games worth of run before the playoff before i start (laughs) playing him at backup center like what the fuck doc like what look i i know people are going to do a lot of revisionist history with the simmons harden trade i will always stand on the hill that we won that trade at the very least well at least the, your guys on the, the very least the sixers did not get fleeced like i saw a lot of dumbass people say and yes i'm i'm a little annoyed so i'm using the term dumbass sorry if that offends people but like I'm offended. For dumbasses everywhere, I'm offended. <laughs> I guess I offended uh-huh. myself too because I too am a dumbass. No. Uh, <laughs> but but no, like, at the very least, this trade, it will, if Harden opts in, which I am also starting to get skeptical about, at the very least, we got a player who played. Yeah. 
No. I, and who's better still, someone. by the way. Better than Ben Simmons. Like, he's better than Ben Simmons, even with this washed version, washed scoring version of Harden. The funny, the funniest comment that I saw was, yo, Ben, ben Simmons was going to come back for game four. Then he saw what happened in game three to Durant, and he he asked for a doctor's note. <laughs> <laughs> I knew he I. I should have. I had the tweet in the drafts, and I should have tweeted it. But I knew his back soreness was going to pop up. <clears throat> I knew. I knew when they started reporting that he was aiming for Game Four. He's ramping. He's going to play in Game Four. I was like, he's not going to play. <laughs> he's not. Like Yo, everybody can see it. Can I? Can I point out one of my favorite things ever? Now is when Pelican's staff or brass comes out and they're like, no, Zion's not ready to play. And then all Zion does is come out and do, like, windmill dunks <laughs> in, in, in the warm-ups, and it's fucking hilarious. Well, now that there's a little – I don't think the Pelicans are going to win this series, but, like, there's a little athletic reporting from the Pelicans writers that there could – like, it – it might not happen, but it could be a consideration that Zion could play if the Pelicans advance. I don't think that's going to happen. No, obviously, I don't think so either. But I mean, it, they're as making it fun. I, and uh, yeah, like, the Pelicans are making it fun. They're making it fun, and and to be fair, and I am I'm living for everyone coming all every Laker fan coming out with the I fucking we we fucking told you about Brandon Ingram, and everyone told us. Oh we yeah, Brandon, Brandon Ingram is him. He's him, as the kids say. Like, he, he. Oh my God! For for years, I was like, Brandon Ingram's a dude, and everyone's like, No, you're fucking stupid. Laker fans are dumb, and I was like, No, dude, he could be a guy. <laughs> like, look at look it's, at the. It's talent. just so crazy to me that dudes like Booker and Brandon Ingram, and Ingram wasn't as refined as Booker skill wise coming out of Duke, but you could see what his game was yeah, and what his game was like, be like he clear at the very least those two guys Booker and Ingram early in their careers when they were labeled as losing players and shit and guys who w- wouldn't play in the playoffs I'm like no they have the type of games you need in a playoff series like their games are mm-hmm. actually tailor-made for the playoffs that's fucking stupid and also like same with Cat too I feel vindicated with Cat. Cat may never be the guy mentality wise, but that guy is too skilled and too talented to be labeled as a good stats, bad team guy, whatever the fuck that yeah. means. He does need to stop celebrating about stuff mid game. Well, and hey, then getting- no. How about this? How about Jaron Jackson Jr. and Carl Anthony Towns stop committing the dumbest fucking fouls I've ever seen in my life? It's been a going <laughs> on. It's been going on for like three since Jackson's been in the league since 2018, and forever for Carl Anthony Towns. Like you'll listen to some Wolves games this year, and even the broadcasters are like. Well, I don't know what Carl Anthony Towns is complaining about there. I mean, that's clearly a foul. And I love the Timberwolves broadcast. They're one of the best local broadcasts in the NBA. They are fair without being too down the middle. They're still homer, but they are very objective. And even there, sometimes they're just like, dude, Carl, what the... What What are you complaining about? Like, some of the fouls these dudes commit. I don't mind the celebrating and shit-talking, because I think these young teams... The Memphis Grizzlies and the T-Wolves, well, I hope they learn a lot from this series because they, man, some of the decision-making in crunch time and in the fourth quarter in some of these games. Oh, yeah, it's pretty poor. Woo! But um, 
I don't mind the shit talking, but my God, can Carl Anthony Towns have some sense of the game? Like, and it, that's been my frustration with him sometimes. It's like he doesn't sense like when is the right time to like take a risky defensive play at the rim or whatever. Don't jump at that three-point shooter. He's not a good three-point shooter. Foul. And the same thing for Jaron Jackson, too. Uh, that series is awesome, though. Like, it's... Yeah, it's, it's great. It's really it's, back and forth. It's weird. It There's a lot of talent in that... There's a lot of talent in that matchup. A lot of young there's stars. There's a lot of unrefined talent in that matchup. Yeah. There's a lot of, like... There's a lot of like yo. I, I don't know what I know the Grizzlies. I know the Grizzlies won 56 games or whatever, but I didn't care about their record. I've looked at their. I've looked at this two seven matchup, and I was like, this game, the series is going to go seven because they're both super young. They're both super talented. They have both teams have guys that can just blow past anybody on the opposition, and they're young, so they're going to make some dumb mistakes, and that's going to be a swing in some of these games, and it has been like. D'Angelo Russell, what the fuck yesterday? <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> Anthony Edwards, why on God's green earth are you going for a steal against John Morant in crunch time for an easy lay- and allow an easy layup? Like, how about John Morant looking like a zombie for the first three quarters? Oh, for the, f- like, he's been shooting like, before game five, he was shooting like 48% at the rim in this series when he was shooting like yeah. 76 or whatever on the regular season. Like, it's it's been a crazy series, man, and I love it. it these are two of the – All for it. it yeah, it's a, that's probably been my favorite series so far. It's been – okay, I will give you that it's fun. It hasn't been my favorite because it's been incredibly frustrating to watch. Right. It no, oh, it has been frustrating. Well, I mean, compared to the other series, I just think this series is. I've I've enjoyed this series the most. Sure, War, no, warts no, and all. I'm with you. War, warts and all, because I mean, the Nuggets Warriors. That was a foregone conclusion. Um, I am interested in the Warriors like new death lineup because Jordan Poole has just he's he is looking like more and more. He's looking like a blue chipper. Um. And compa- I remember I covered his first summer league game actually um, at the Golden One Center at a uh, for the uh, Cali- hey. for the California Classic, and he was warming up, and that was like my first little look at me. I'm gonna post this to the gram uh, post. Uh, <laughs> was him warming up, but he's turned into a special offensive player, and that I don't know what that lineup is um, gonna be called or whatever stupid nickname Twitter's gonna come up with. But like the lineup of Steph Curry, Poole, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, and Draymond Green, the numbers for those lineups look like a video game, bro. Yeah, they well, look... I've seen I've seen people just call it Death Lineup 2.0. No, they need to retire the Death Lineup. That was its own thing, and that was its own key to a championship in yeah. in a previous era. It might be. That's tight. what I've seen. That's what I've seen from like from Warriors beat writers so far. That's what I've seen them call it. The Warriors beat writers. I know they cover the Warriors extensively. They need to retire that the death lineup. It it has its own. Thi- it's been its own thing. They need to come up. Yeah. And then the Hamptons Five, of course, which never really stuck when Kevin Durant joined the Warriors. They need to come up with a like the Fast Five or something like that. I like I like the puns with the Splash Brothers and Jordan and the pool party. Um that type of those type of puns but uh 
That yeah, lineup. Jordan, I love that lineup. Jordan, Jordan Poole gives them such a different dimension. It really very... does. It's really mini Steph like. Like, and I, I am yeah. very careful you can, you can when tell, I use that. You can tell. You can tell that he's he's picked up a lot of like the off ball stuff from Steph. Absolutely, Just the way that he moves around. That's things. that's where I think the um, comparison is apt. Like off ball, he's yeah. just been. He's constantly. And the thing moving. is, like, the thing was with like with the two man game with Clay and Steph, and even with like Steph and and KD, like the two man games are very different because they're very different styles of player. Mm-hmm. Where like when you have the two man game with Steph and Poole, like you don't know what direction they're gonna go in. Like either one of them, right? So like yep. if you just give the ball to one, like it's so frustrating to watch a defense try to break them down. And to be fair, you, just, you don't know where they're gonna go. And to be and to be fair, the Nuggets roster right now is just bare, and it's the yeah. worst possible it's just, matchup. It's, it's Jokic versus the world. It's, yeah, it's basically. <laughs> but like that lineup is going to be deadly against any team, and that's why all year, even though the Suns have established themselves established themselves as the best team in the league, the best record, I always in the back of my mind and on and whenever and on our podcast episodes i've always made sure to mention like i think the warriors are going to be right there in the end with the phoenix suns because i think the interesting part the interesting part is like when you think the suns and even like the the pelicans to a certain extent too like the amount of perimeter defense that all these teams have stacked up Mm -hmm. is like oh these these are the teams that could give them trouble like and like it's it's going to become a chess match and it's really exciting to think about. Yeah, I think that series is going to be nip and tuck. It looks like Devin Booker's gonna return too, by the way, according to uh Woj. Well actually no. I'm not gonna give credit to Woj because my friend and listener of this podcast, George, sent me a tweet from a guy that's a part of Sun's Twitter that somehow you know how there's like in some sports fan bases, Twitters, there's always like that one offshoot guy that somehow has inside information, but nobody yeah. gives him credit um, until yeah. the big guys report it. Some guy, let me, now I'm going to pull up his name because I want to give proper credit on this show. At Flex from Jersey uh, tweeted. Assuming nothing unexpected happens between now and tip-off tomorrow, I can confidently say that after roughly nine days out with a mild hamstring strain, I fully expect Devin Booker to return to the Suns lineup for Thursday's potential closeout, Game 6 in New Orleans. And he's had he's been accurate with some of his quote-unquote reporting before. He's not really a reporter, but you could tell he, he knows stuff, you know? Sure. And uh, then, of course, Woj tweeted it later. So I'm not going to give credit to Woj, you know? <laughs> um, but, uh... A potential Suns Warriors matchup with that death lineup, and that was the other reason why I was like, "Let's see what the Warriors do," because they haven't played. Like, remember, Steph was out, Clay Thompson was out, or Clay Thompson was, you know, when he came back, like Draymond missed missed a lot of games. Then Draymond comes back. Then Steph hurts his foot against the Celtics, misses up until the playoffs. They've hardly the big three themselves have hardly played together, and. The lineup with Poole, Wiggs, Curry, Clay, and Draymond, like, they hadn't played a single minute together. And that was the lineup everybody, including myself, was just like, let's see what the Warriors do with this. Because, like, Poole, especially towards the end of the season, but all year, Poole has been special. And 
man, like that that series, that potential series, if it gets that far, is going to be nip and tuck. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for that one too. And how about six man of the year, Steph Curry? How about most improved player of the year, Steph Curry? <laughs> uh, t- can I say something about most improved player? That it shouldn't be a superstar. Yes, it should not be a superstar. <laughs> like I understand that's the leap that we all value is the yeah. leap from star to superstar. But like, that's, see, why is, my, that's why we have MVP. That's why we have All NBA. My thing, my thing with that is it's not the that, spirit of the the award. It's not the spirit of the award, but also like it's not most improved. That's his trajectory. Yes, like, we all knew Ja was going to be a superstar. Like to me, to me, most improved player is like where your trajectory is imp- shoots up to where we did not expect. Yes. Absolutely. So, like, so when, when I I think it's total bullshit. But like, Jordan Poole didn't even make top three. Yeah, like he was whatever. in the G League I'm, last year. Jordan Poole yeah. was in the fucking G I, uh, League last year. Like, I don't know what to say when when like when you look at it. It just there's nothing to say other than that's bullshit. Even even okay, even Darius Garland, who was you know fringing on being a good player last year turned into an all-star caliber player this year like even watching him last year I was like this guy is going to be the franchise point guard like I knew he was going to be a really fucking good point guard right yeah like improvements from Desmond Bain who I have as most improved player, I have the list in front yeah, of me Desmond now. Desmond Bain was mine. Desmond Bain was mine. Bain was mine. Tyrese Maxey also had a strong case for one. I had him second. Both of those guys increased their scoring by eight by nine points per game from their rookie year to this year. DeJounte Murray, too, which you can kind of throw him in the Garland category, but this guy came off an injury, was averaging like 15, 6, and 5. The guy... Then this year becomes a twenty-eight and eight all-star with still elite defense. Like that's heavy improvement. Cameron Johnson's my fourth, and then I have Jordan Poole fifth. I probably should have Jordan Poole higher, honestly. Um, I might have made a mistake there, but my ballot is my ballot. I'm not changing it. Well, my fake ballot because you know the NBA doesn't you know has yet to discover our great podcast. Um, but. God, if 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 any if anything happens and comes out of this podcast, if we get if we get if we get NBA award voting out of this, incredible. <laughs> I actually I actually wouldn't want I actually wouldn't want <laughs> award voting because I would be clapping back at everybody that got mad that their guy didn't get picked. <laughs> you know, oh, like, like here's why your bitch ass didn't get picked. Yeah, Full like month. yeah, or exact. I'd be I'd be clapping back all. I'd be on Twitter all all night. I do not wish. I do not wish the burden of voting on anybody, especially because it impacts a lot of players' money. Um, yeah. But, yeah, John Moran should not be rookie of the – or should not be most improved player. I'm sorry. Like, that's no. that's fucking ridiculous. That was that was one of the most ridiculous things I'd seen in a long time. It, it really is. And also, like, I understand Jaw. like, even Jaw maybe have – may have taken the superstar leap a year earlier than we expected, right? Like, 
Sure. We, we expected him to improve, but that guy increased his points by nine points per game. He's averaging 27, shooting damn near 50% from the field as a small athletic guard. Like, that's incredible. That is that is a legit, like, capital L leap. That's what MVP is for. That's what all mm-hmm. NBA is for. Not most improved player. Like, I'm sorry. That's ridiculous. Yep. I'm 100% with you, brother. Also, real quickly, so I could go on record with my, with on this podcast with my award votes. I'm not going to name all of them, obviously, but MVP I had Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic second, Giannis third, Defensive Player of the Year I had Jaron Jackson Jr. Actually, and watching these playoffs and watching him still commit dumb fouls all year, I might feel stupid for picking that, but the Grizzlies were great and he put up great defensive numbers as well. Marcus Smart second, Mikael Bridges third, most improved player I already told you, coach of the year I had Monty Williams, sixth man of the year obviously it was Tyler Hero. They were I don't I think that was one in like the first two weeks of the season. Rookie of the year got interesting because um, Barnes started to come I had on Mobley, late. Mobley, but I'm not mad about it. Yeah, Mobley. I know Barnes won. I still have Mobley first, and I have Barnes second and Cade third, and I. I have to say, like, the the whole winning never really mattered in Rookie of the Year, so why does it matter now? Take that Pistons fans and other Magic fans even, or even maybe Houston fans, I'm sure, feel this way, that winning shouldn't matter because it never mattered in Rookie of the Year. It's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, yes, historically, rookies, they're on bad teams. And rookie of the year usually goes to the best rookie, and usually the best rookie is on a bad team. Cade Cunningham is probably going to be the best rookie out of this draft class, though I would still say Evan Mobley has an equal shot at becoming that down the road, right? Yeah. But like, I mean, for me, it's a thing. It's a thing of. It comes down to the thing where the. Like if this if it was only they were great rookies too. Like Mobley and Barnes were great rookies. But like if it if it was only after if it was only post All Star break, I would have taken Cade. But Cade had a really bad start to the year. The bad start was like two weeks. Like if you really look at it. But it it took him. I don't know. It 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 felt like it took him time to ramp, and then plus he didn't play the first. Like he was hurt. Yeah, it, that's, so that's, then, that's like, the thing. He got hurt, and it was a slow start. But the slow start yeah. was like two. He started to come on. The last 50 games of the season, if you look at his stats, like he really, the last 50 games, he made a lot of ground up in the race. Yeah, like, I probably, it's probably it's probably less it's probably less impactful than I'm thinking. But like in my head, when mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it, like it felt like a slow start, and it felt like Mobley and Barnes They jumped off out the gate the immediately. Jump. Like, because, and Cade Cunningham is a, going to be an awesome defender, right? But, like, Mobley had a case for all-defensive team this year. Only 10 guys make the two all-defensive teams of the whole NBA, right? <laughs> so, like, yeah. people just want to ignore that side of the floor. And Mobley was no slouch offensively. Yes, he needed help from Darius Garland and Jared Allen, but Mobley was a key cog in the Cavs' offense, too. And also, Mobley was the reason the Cavs were able to play three fucking bigs in the first place. And that was their identity, which led to their record. 
And then Scotty Barnes, too. They were also great. And then on winning teams. So when you add all that up, that's why they're the rookies of the year. I understand Cade might might be the best rookie. Because I certainly... I, I thought Joel Embiid should have won rookie of the year over Malcolm Brogdon. Because I thought he was the best rookie even in 31 games. But like... When you also have great, when you when there are other great rookies in the class, and they are key cogs to teams turning it around and winning, that matters. Yeah, like I'm with the, you. The whole take, yeah, of, the whole I, take of winning didn't matter with rookie of the year, so it shouldn't matter now. Like that's so dumb. Like that is so. I can't even comprehend. Like that's that's reductive as hell. Like oh what? So we shouldn't change. Because we shouldn't change as the facts go. Like, that's like, like, it's not like I'm picking Herb Jones to win rookie of the year over Cade. Like, that's dumb. Like, and I know that's a poor example, but like, Mobley and Barnes are going to be great Yo, Herb players. Jones, though. <laughs> I know Herb J- Like, by the way, like, uh, I mean, more, more and more older college players need to start getting respect. I saw this tweet out yeah. the other day, too. Like, I mean, there's nothing wrong with older players being. There's nothing wrong with drafting older older players. Look at Desmond Bain; he was a junior when yeah. he got drafted, and now he's looking like he's going to be. I don't know what Desmond Bain is going to be at twenty eight, twenty seven. He looks like he could be Jaws' backcourt mate for the next ten years. Like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with drafting older players, especially Absolutely. experienced players. Because they're generally more experienced. Yeah, the talent's yeah. in the upside, and we all fawn over long boys and all that stuff. But long boy. But there's nothing. Herb Jones is both a long boy and an old boy. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Old bo- old long boy. <laughs> Herb Jones. <laughs> but uh, I did. Yeah. I, I did tweet this out. It's the last point we'll make. But like, I did tweet. I did tweet this out. And I sent it to you earlier. It's like. Could you imagine if the Pelicans kept Lonzo and the the amount of clamps that they would be able to put on team backcourt with Lonzo Herb Jones? All the Pelican fans that were shitting on Lonzo on the way out or defending the trade, they never made sense to me. Like they, I I'm, I, I I'm just, sure they never made sense to you either. No, because Devontae Graham is just I don't I don't know why Jose Alvarado should be playing way more than he is now yeah. but because of politics and because of the contract and I'm sure Willie Green's a smart guy and a good coach there is no way Willie Green does not have full autonomy over that particular situation because no. there is there is the, no way dude. Jose Alvarado <laughs> should be getting less minutes than Devontae Graham in the first half well games. again Devontae Graham not only did you let Lonzo walk for free which is like what the fuck are you doing uh, but also fucking bro you did <laughs> You you gave up a first round pick to go get Devonte Graham, and by the way, because you know me and you we've uh, we have poked and joked at uh, David Griffin's moves. <laughs> the Pelicans are actually kind of well off if you think about it. Yeah, <laughs> like they're really good. <laughs> they're the, actually the, kind of the, well off. <laughs> the thing the thing though the thing is though if you they're plant well Zion off, there, they could be they could be better. If they plant Zion there next year, if Zion plays next year, that team is going to be so good. Yes, but again, Jordan, if you t- if you just take Devontae Graham out and you put Lonzo back in, that team's better. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But I'm I'm just thinking forward because Lonzo's not on the team anymore. 
No use of crying over spilled milk that David Griffin oh, just spilled I'm all just over saying, the like, kitchen. <laughs> I just don't. I don't. That was one of the most like. It was one of the dumbest moves. I was, didn't get it at the time. Well, I still don't get it. I still don't understand like what your rationale thinking is. And even if you don't like Lonzo, right? Even like personally, you're like, okay, I don't like Lonzo Ball. That's fine. You can not like Lonzo Ball, but letting a guy that plays like you know top perimeter defense is like a a high 30s low 40% three point shooter mm-hmm. and like and and a, and a and a good playmaker letting him walk for free is is like unexcusable Her, i i said the same thing yeah. when the lake when the lakers let caruso go like it's the same thing you you can't let assets like that it's mismanagement of assets is what it is and like, also the owners may be broke but that's another story yeah <laughs> sure but i mean then at that point you do a sign and trade right like, why don't you sign and trade for Devontae Graham? How about you pay the luxury tax because you're the fucking Lakers? <laughs> that's true. That's a different one. Yeah, that's a that's a whole different story. How about, well, you know, well, him, THT? Yeah, he's like 20. You know, twenty your early 20s, late teens players, they kind of have up and down development years. Let's not hitch our wagon to THT and ditch and then ditch Alex Caruso, who was oh a key cog for your championship team. Oh, my God. Oh yeah, and then also it's the so Lakers. Bad. The Lakers are now throwing clutch under the bus because apparently they didn't know what they signed up for when LeBron first came to the Lakers. But whatever. <laughs> it's such a it's such a mess. But no, the Pelicans are just one last thing about the Pelicans. They're 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 or going back to the Pelicans before we go. They're they're in a good spot, man. They really yes, are. Like, I'm very excited for them. Herb Jones is a fucking my, octopus. My like, <laughs> my, <laughs> bro literally him and Brandon Ingram can lock arms and they go like the whole length of the court. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you, if you just like, if you had them just spread out all the way and we're like, all right, touch hands, boom, you cover the a, whole, whole fucking court. They have a, they have a coach who is not only a good young coach, but a former player, a younger, he's one, he was one of the recent retirees so he can relate to players more. He's a, he's, He's always willing to look at himself, make adjustments. That's what he said when the Pelicans started off. What was it, three and sixteen? And he turned it, and he looked at himself and realized he needed to change his coaching style. Made a lineup change, put Jackson Hayes at the four along with Valanciunas, and that weirdly worked out. Like, Bro, imagine, imagine, and they have, and imagine. they still have a ton of picks. Like David Griffin for the stupid moves he's made over the last two years, like. He's also kind of nailed some moves that to they he's nailed some moves to such a degree that the Pelicans look like they're in a good spot now because Troy Murphy has also been really good for the Pelicans. He's been in the rotation now, and you just drop Zion in there. Dave could be cooking with yeah. some serious gas next year. Yeah, I'm I'm all in. I'm I think they're I think they're going to be a force for a while. If the, if that comes back healthy, I think they'll be a force for a while. I still think they might need to consider trading Zion because he's still I don't I don't know if he's ever cuz like all the stuff about him wanting to go to New York and all that stuff and he hasn't really shot his camp hasn't really shot down emphatic, emphatically the rumors or anything like that and kind sure. of let the Pelicans he's been AWOL this season just rejoined the team over the last month and a half of the season or whatever Again, my favorite part is him doing windmill dunks. Yeah, now he's doing windmill like, dunks. Not ready. <laughs> Still kind of looks well, out of shape, but compared to earlier in the season, he looks fine. 
So hopefully we get an in shape Zion next year and a good Pelicans team. So I think people and the thing that makes me sad too is like people are like, Oh, he's a bust and I'm like, No, dude, you don't remember like people forget quickly how good Zion Williamson is. Yeah, no, he's not a he's not a bust. I mean John ja Morant Zion is going to be a dis- is a fair discussion, obviously now. Yeah. Uh but if Zion's on the floor, like, that guy's like help, that guy's like healthy, a six foot seven. Sh- he's a six foot seven seven Shaq. Yeah, like nobody could stop insane. him. So we'll see. Um, I feel like there was another series we didn't talk about, but well, we didn't really elaborate on Warriors Nuggets. That one's going to be we There's talked about really the Warriors. About. We talked about the Warriors more than anything. Um, There's really nothing to talk about though. Those are pretty straightforward. Yeah, all of these are pretty straightforward so we'll see how the playoffs unfold man uh it's gonna be interesting hope we don't choke a 3-0 lead but uh that because that would that would suck i would log off twitter for that night <laughs> <laughs> no you would you would uh you would revel in the fire doc rivers uh discourse on twitter i think i would be too sad to even do that <laughs> we'll see <though. laughs> all right bud well Thank you guys for listening, and I will see you guys next week. The B.O.B.